I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector, with new technology causing us to continually question the way that we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the individuals leading this revolution, and to investigate the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop safer and more sustainable mobility. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating. Today I'm joined by Nicola Pocard. Nicola is Director of Marketing and Strategy at Ballard Power Systems. This was a really fun discussion. To start, if you're familiar with fuel cell systems, you'll know that Ballard is and has been right at the center of the action, supporting heavy-duty fuel cell applications for buses, trucks, trains, marine applications, and more. But even beyond that, Nicolas's passion for the technology really shows through during this discussion, as we covered a lot of ground focused on hydrogen and fuel cell applications for transportation. Please enjoy my conversation with Nicolas Picard. Today we have Nicolas Pocard joining. Nicolas, thank you for uh, joining today. Thank you very much. Hello. Yeah. So could you please start off by introducing yourself and explaining a bit about what you're working on? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. So um, I work for Ballard Power Systems uh, here based in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm responsible for marketing and our corporate strategy. I have been uh, working in a fuel cell industry now for uh, more than 15 years and for Ballard for eight years. Gotcha. And if I remember or if I understand correctly, so you spent a good amount of your recent career in Asia, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So before moving to Vancouver in 2014, I worked for six years in, in Malaysia, some years in, uh, in Singapore and some years in Australia. So can you speak to, so I, I'm in the Detroit area, I think uh, we have, I guess, audience kind of throughout the world, but based out of North America. Um, can you speak to kind of the differences between, or of how fuel cell technology has progressed over the last 10 years and the different stages that it's in in the different regions within the world? Yes, I think we are living a very interesting um, period. I think fuel cell technology has been, uh, you know, around for um, decades now. Mm-hmm. There was a first, I uh, will say, bubbles in the uh, uh, in the late nineties, early uh, late nineteen nineties, early two thousand. And but then what we have seen, and it went a bit quiet. And and uh, what we have seen in the past two years is, is really really interesting. There is a really big growth of interest, as well as in uh, technology development and uh, in investment into hydrogen on fuel cell. Uh, and I think we see that uh, probably everywhere in the world, uh, driven mainly in, in North America, Europe, and China. So I think the big game changer we have seen over the past uh, couple of years is the entry of China in the hydrogen world. Um, earlier, China was not really part of any of the early demonstration, development, technology, innovation. But in the past two to, I would say, two to four years, China has been rapidly ramping up the interest as well as investment uh, in the development of hydrogen and fuel cell technology and the deployment of vehicles. Uh, so there's acceleration in China. And then in a way, the rest of the world is now trying to catch up with what China is doing using very strong foundation, which have been developed over the years in both US, Canada and Europe. What type of applications is it primarily in China that have taken off? It's interesting. Uh, China uh, has focused on AV duty mobility. 
Okay. So China is looking at de deploying fuel cell buses and trucks. Can you speak to, I guess, why that is and why fuel cell might be a good, uh, a good propulsion system technology for those types of heavier applications? Yes. Uh, so when you think about it, so, uh, you know, maybe something to take a step back a little bit here. Mm -hmm. uh, fuel cell is a part of the electrification of mm -hmm. mobility. So, because maybe some, some of you uh, listeners do not know, but a fuel cell vehicle is an electric vehicle. Uh, all fuel cell vehicles use the same and, you know, motors and uh, powertrain than electric battery vehicle. Mm -hmm. So the difference is whether having a very large battery to transport your energy and store your energy, you store the energy as hydrogen, and then you convert this energy into electricity using a fuel cell. The advantage of that is hydrogen is a very large uh, energy uh, density uh, per, per weight. This means that you can store a lot of energy on a vehicle and then convert it into electricity using the fuel cell. That's particularly interesting for AV duty vehicles where you need a lot of energy to move those large vehicles. You also you need energy because those vehicles tend to operate on longer routes, longer duty cycle than your car that you maybe use only a couple of hours for commute in a day per day where a transit bus, a delivery trucks, a long road trucks, a train uh, is in operation sometimes 20, 24 hours a day in some cases almost. So very long duty cycle. And then you have vehicle which have to carry passengers, load, freight, uh, and so the capacity to transport this load of passenger or freight is very important. When you go to electrification, if you use a battery, using a large battery that is needed to carry over a long distance an important freight is going to be very heavy. So your battery is going to compromise your payload of your vehicle. So the longer you want your vehicle to operate, uh, in range or duty cycle, the more battery you're going to have to add on a vehicle. Mm -hmm. And the more battery you add, the less load, payload, passengers, or uh, goods you can carry on that vehicle. And this is where hydrogen makes a lot of sense because with this really very large energy density uh, per weight, uh, so you can carry a lot of energy without compromising the payload of your vehicle. Then because you carry a lot of energy, you can operate over a very long distance. So you can meet the duty cycle, the, uh, the routes requirement, even if it's in winter, in summer, on a, on a mountain road. And the last advantage uh, for those vehicles, uh, asset utilization is very key. You want those vehicles to be utilized as much as possible. You want mm -hmm. to operate them in multiple shifts. So you don't want that vehicle to be hooked to uh, a plug for several hours in order to be charged. Mm -hmm. Hydrogen, you can refuel the tank in 10 minutes, exactly like you do today with your diesel uh, vehicle. So you have the ability to have the same performance in terms of range, uh, uh, payload, than a standard diesel uh, AV duty bus or truck, and also not immobilize your asset for recharging by having a very quick refilling time. So those really as a key element why hydrogen on fuel cell makes a lot of sense for the electrification of heavy duty vehicles. And is it accurate, so my understanding, Valerie's focus on 
say buses, trucks, um, rail applications, and marine are the four main areas. Is that accurate? Absolutely. This is where you have the largest, I would say the biggest uh, load that you need to transport passenger or, uh, or, or goods. And this is also the vehicle which are operating a lot mm-hmm. uh, that you don't want to be plugged in for hours. So those two elements together and the range you need to cover in order to meet your personal requirement is really in a sweet spot of the value that hydrogen can deliver as an energy carrier, energy storage, and a clean fuel for electric mobility. And quick kind of tangent. So you mentioned uh, hydrogen, very good at, uh, I guess, energy per unit of, of weight, right? How, how does it compare to, I guess, it's, a, it's much superior to a battery electric vehicle in, in energy storage. How does it compare to liquid fuels, gasoline? So in weight, it's pretty better. However, when you, if you just consider hydrogen itself, but if you add the tanks and mm-hmm. the storage which is required, it's probably you know, a little bit less you know, dense per, per, per weight. Than, uh, than than diesel in a, in a plastic tank. Uh, the issue with hydrogen is being the lightest molecule of gas on this planet. Uh, it tends to take a lot of space if you don't. Yeah, compress that's it. exactly where I was going to go. Yeah, energy versus volume. So, so energy per volume is not that good. So what you need to do, you need to compress it. So you need to compress it, and you know, like as a gas, it can be compressed. So uh, you can compress it to 350 bar, 700 bar, in order to be able to use less space on a vehicle in order to have enough energy to carry. Mm-hmm. So the challenge on hydrogen is not on the weight at all, it's more on the space, but compression uh, is helping and you're able today to carry 30, 50, 30 to 50 or even 18, some of the trucks design, kilogram of hydrogen on board of a vehicle, which enables you to have hundreds of kilometers to meet the requirement of the mission. Same thing on a train, in a, in a ship, it's a bit less of an issue. You have a bit more space, mm-hmm. in a way. And then you can use also hydrogen as a liquid uh, because you need much more hydrogen on a ship than you need on a bus. And then again, you can use liquid storage. And then when you start to have hydrogen as a liquid, the energy density uh, is getting much better. Gotcha. And I think, so there's a lot of, uh, lot of potential topics to, to branch out from there. But I, I want to start... I guess going into the question of sustainability. So my, my interpretation, at least part of this renewed focus in hydrogen recently has been um, looking at regulations that are upcoming in, in different regions and the need for some of these medium and heavy duty applications to really clean, clean up by 2025 and then some, some later targets as well. Uh, can you speak to, I guess, how, so emissions, so on the vehicle, no emissions, right? It's, it's clean, clean, clean fuel. But yeah. overall, can you speak to kind of life cycle, how, how hydrogen compares to the other propulsion system options? Absolutely. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. So fuel cell, you know, the, the conversion of hydrogen to electricity, zero emission. Mm-hmm. Fuel cell itself, uh, you know, you can say as, as a total carbon footprint of making a fuel cell system, uh, it's really good, much better than battery, much less energy intense. In terms of producing a fuel cell, it doesn't require a lot of um, rare minerals to be extracted from Earth and converted. So the energy 
uh, required intensity to make a fuel cell is much better than the one of uh, to make a battery. So on the fuel cell side, we have a really good energy, uh, you know, uh, sorry, a, a really good low carbon footprint during the production. Mm-hmm. But then comes the fuel, and you get zero emission at the tailpipe. But you need to look at what is the carbon intensity of the fuel you are using uh, in your vehicle. Same thing for electricity. Your electric vehicle is as clean as a grid that you are plugging it is is clean, and a fuel cell vehicle is as clean as the hydrogen you are using is clean. So that's very important uh, because if you use hydrogen which is made from coal conversion, that might not be the cleanest way of uh, powering your vehicle. Mm-hmm. However, uh, you have the option also to make hydrogen, what you call green hydrogen, using renewable energy, convert it into hydrogen through electrolysis, and then you can reduce a lot the carbon intensity of your, uh, of your hydrogen. Uh, so that's what we call green hydrogen. The other path is to use fossil fuel, natural gas uh, mainly, and then you can convert natural gas into hydrogen. Now, if you're doing the conversion process, you let carbon dioxide go in the atmosphere, you don't achieve that uh, low carbon intensity hydrogen, and you get a, what you call brown hydrogen, which will not, might not uh, enable you to meet your carbon intensity and your GHG emission. However, if you manage to uh, sequest the carbon emission during the process of converting natural gas into hydrogen to carbon sequestration, then when we create what is called blue hydrogen, you mean it's a hydrogen which has been decarbonized, and then you can have a hydrogen which is not as low carbon intensity than the one produced from renewable uh, energy directly, but it can have a very low carbon intensity. And it's much, much better than even sometimes a grid which, you know, in some case you are burning diesel or fossil fuel on the grid to make electricity. Mm-hmm. So, but as you highlighted, in, in, a, in the future, the path to having the lowest carbon intensity in hydrogen is very important to achieve that decarbonization using hydrogen uh, as the uh, energy carrier. So the development of green hydrogen source or blue hydrogen source is very important to ensure the true decarbonization and having a well-to-will funnel emission, which is really lower than what we're doing today with 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 diesel or gasoline engines. And where do we where do we currently stand? I guess in the proportion of hydrogen that's that's created that's in this blue or green category. And then what do you see as the key enablers to um, increase that more sustainable production going forward? So, so today it's very clear that the majority of hydrogen today, which is produced, comes from the reformation of natural gas and is not is not green. A mm-hmm. part of it. Uh, is some sequestration, but the majority is not. Uh, but we have seen lately a really strong push for scaling up green hydrogen production projects. So you have in Europe, you have in North America, in Australia, uh, especially in the area where you have a lot of, I would say, uh, abundant uh, renewable energy, sometimes which is not used because you have too much of it and you cannot use it all the time. Uh, especially during the time where you have no demand for electricity. So it's a perfect time to use that excess of renewable energy 
and convert it into halogen using electrolyzer. And that's why if you look at the, all the uh, roadmap or strategies which have been published in the past six months by countries like Australia, uh, the EU, uh, Germany, um, uh, even in, the, in, a, in some, uh, some states in the US, it's all based on scanning up green halogen uh, production. Mm. And for example, the EU has the objective to be able to scale up to 40 gigawatts of production uh, capacity of green halogen using electrolyzer. So this is a fundamental, I think, a lot of our strategy are based using that approach of developing at scale production of green halogen. Because it's not only going to be used for mobility and as a clean fuel for transportation, but also it's going to be used to decarbonize the, uh, some industry sectors, steel, ammonia production. It can be used mixed with natural gas to decarbonize eating uh, for buildings. And it can also be used as energy storage uh, during off-peak seasons. So whenever you are in, in summer and winter, you want to use a store part of your electricity, renewable electricity, you can use halogen to do that. So, so I think these are all uh, uh, development being done to start really using and converting today uh, or creating, I would say, a new energy carrier in our, uh, in our economy. Can we talk then, so the, the models that most people and that I'm familiar with for energy, uh, I guess, creating these fuel sources. So natural or for gasoline, for example, we have pipelines that transport the gasoline. It shows up at a pump and we put it into the car. Electricity, we're used to these centralized locations creating electricity and then a grid that moves the electricity where, where we need it. Uh, I guess the, the first question related then of a second question is do you see hydrogen following a similar model there where you'll have these large centralized locations generating or producing hydrogen in some way and then transporting it to other locations or do you see ability for certain locations for example if, it, if you have a a truck depot or something like that where you have a lot of trucks coming in or if for some reason it makes sense to have kind of a more decentralized production process which of those do you see happening or is it a mix i think it's going to be a mix and this is what is really interesting with halogen is the flexibility so you probably will have some you know large production sites where you can do make halogen at scale and then distribution through uh, you know trucks or pipelines uh, like we do today with uh, with natural gas or oil and you're going to have also microgrids uh, systems and you're going to have also systems where you have the, uh, yeah, the uh, hydrogen production on a site and, uh, you know, just to produce hydrogen for, you know, a bus depot or a truck depot or port. So I think the scalability of the production of hydrogen enables that, that to, to have either a small size production or large scale production, a mix of both. and and be able to transport hydrogen either as a liquid or as a gas into a truck or a pipeline. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that makes sense. And w then my, my second question that's related there was the one of the, uh, and we, we can talk, I guess, afterwards, whether it's a battery electric versus hydrogen, either or, or if there's some, some way that they can uh, coexist. But before we get there, I had the question of, so one of the, one of the things that's typically said promoting battery electric vehicles is that 
electricity so much cheaper, right, than hydrogen. As of right now, hydrogen is expensive, at least at the pump. But the, the question is, as imagining five, 10 years in, in the future, as we're ramping up production of electricity versus the ramping up production of hydrogen, how, how do you see the price of those two energy sources increasing or decreasing over time? Uh, yeah, so I think there's two elements of it. So the price of hydrogen uh, is based on two key components. One of it is the production and transportation of hydrogen. And the other is the uh, distribution, the infrastructure required to refuel the vehicle. So mm-hmm. if you add everything together, the, uh, I need to produce hydrogen to transport it, to dispense it. Then you get some price today, you know, which is higher than the cost of electricity because we have already in place the distribution network. However, uh, so the cost of production, other forecasts, and there have been studies done by Bloomberg and others showing that uh, the cost of production of hydrogen using renewable energy is going down uh, and is going to be very competitive. You know, uh, as the projections show that it will be down to one or two dollars per kilogram. So a very low, um, the closer actually, the Bloomberg pro- projection shows is even less than a dollar per kilogram. Then the, the very important part, especially when you talk about AV duty, is the refueling infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So it's very quite easy to recharge one car, and not that easy when you see a fast charger car, actually, those are quite expensive and uh, takes a bit of infrastructure to build them. But you can imagine if you want to fast charge a bus or a truck um, to do one or two trucks, that's okay. But if you have a depot where you have 50 of 100 trucks, then you start to see, God, I need a megawatts of power at the same time to be brought to that location. And that's becoming extremely expensive. So the price of the electron is still cheap. And we can debate that, you know, maybe the price will increase with the... uh, impact of uh, climate change and grids and resilience and uh, natural disasters that maybe the price of electricity will increase because the transport will increase, cost will increase. But if you just look at the cost of the infrastructure to recharge a vehicle, and that's particularly true for fleets of heavy duty vehicle, at scale, that cost can be becoming really, really important. So the price per vehicle uh, to develop that charging electric charging infrastructure uh, increase the more vehicle you have at the same place. Where yeah. on hydrogen, it's kind of the opposite. Uh, to start, if you have one or two vehicles, you still need to have the infrastructure, the station, the dispensers, and, and, and it's kind of expensive per vehicle if you do it for one or two bus or trucks. But if you look at that infrastructure and you put a station, which can be used by tens of vehicles, like today we are for a diesel station, uh, you know, your vehicle can come every 10 minutes on refuel. So you start investing in infrastructure, which is used for a very short amount of time, but a much larger um, quantity of assets. So the price of the infrastructure, the investment required to refuel the same amount of, let's say, 100 trucks is much smaller on a hydrogen side than it is on the electricity side. So if you were to build today a charging station for 100 trucks at the same time, it's quite significant the price per vehicle. Where if you do the same thing with hydrogen, because you better utilize your investment, uh, your vehicle can only use 10 minutes of the, uh, of the station, and because there's no much need for so much need for energy in order to dispense the fuel, then the cost is much lower. 
So then when you do the total cost of ownership, not only looking at the electricity, but the cost of the vehicle, how many vehicles do you need in order to perform the same routes and the cost of recharging or refueling infrastructure, even though the cost of the molecule is higher compared to the cost of the electron, the overall TCO can still be very attractive. Yeah, and I, I tend to, to have the opinion, I mean, it, it's, it's exciting seeing electrification, building momentum, right? It, it's great. All the Tesla, especially in the light duty space is getting, is, uh, is growing and I'm, I'm excited about that. I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction, but it, it, at least logically, it seems to make sense that battery electric vehicles kind of have an easier initial hurdle to get, get over, but have some problems as we try to scale about building battery packs. And then as you mentioned, the, the grid type things where, whereas, hydrogen arguably has the exact opposite situation where it's it's you have this huge challenge at the beginning of setting up infrastructure and and things like that but then arguably it gets easier later on for uh, to get scale yeah and then so you have to look at the space requirement you know it's it's not an issue uh on a on a short a short scale but if you suddenly have every car has to be designated or every truck designated location to be charged mm-hmm. when do you get the space where on a hydrogen, you just come in, you refuel and you go and park or you go on the road again. So those are key elements. However, you know, to, I think at the end of the day, I, I don't like the, uh, you know, the fuel cell against uh, battery electric uh, battle. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, it's based on a use case. Yes. So I, I really believe that the future of mobility will be electric, that we have a path today to really move away from diesel and having 100% zero emission electric vehicle light duty and heavy duty and then the mix between battery electric or fuel cell electric then will depend on the location the grid constraint the use case of the vehicle and the payload you have to carry and um, and the asset management so all those elements will define for the user which vehicle should better they use if you commute today and you know in the city a battery electric car is perfect for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're an Uber driver and you work on two or three shifts for your vehicle, maybe you need to think about hydrogen is probably a better solution for your car than having it you know, plugged in for several hours uh, where you cannot take passengers. So it's all a matter of use case and having enabling the user to have option for both. And actually, when you look at a vehicle, a lot of components are similar. So at the end of the day, we need to drive down the cost of the battery electric vehicle. We need to drive down the cost of the fuse electric vehicle. And the motor is the same. All the components are similar. The only difference in the case of a smaller battery and a fuel cell on storage or a larger battery. But there's a lot of synergies. And at the end of the day, both we need both in order to achieve our challenge and our fight against climate change. And we need both technology to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, very well said. Uh, so, I, I we jumped right into your, to your I think some of the fun discussion that uh, I, I could go on forever. I think this is this is very interesting. But I, I also I want to take some time to speak specifically about what Ballard is doing here because. Yep. So, can can you talk in more detail about? Okay, so so you guys, we talked about some of these use cases you're working on, some of the things you're doing in the space. You're obviously working on fuel cells, but what exactly is Ballard actually doing? Okay, yeah. So, so Ballard is a technology developer. So Ballard has been developing fuel cell technology uh, for the past 40 years now. 
So yeah. we are really at the forefront of Pioneer. We went there among the first one and tried to develop that technology. And for the past, for the past 30 more years, the company has been developing the technology, putting vehicles on the road, you know, improving the technology, improving the performance, reducing space, uh, you know, improving uh, energy density, and more important, driving down the cost reduction. So today at Ballard, we uh, develop and produce fuel cell power systems for aviation mobility. So we make the fuel cell systems, which is then integrated by the bus OEM, the truck OEM, train OEM, uh, propulsion system integrator into the vehicle. So we, uh, we manufacture those systems, and they range from, uh, let's say, for <coughs> mobility from uh, 30 kilowatt all the way to 200 kilowatt system that we have today in a product range mm -hmm. different form factor depending on the vehicle different protection because we are not going to protect the system the same way if it's installed into a bus or truck or in a marine vessel or on board of a train but the core of the technology is the same we have a fuel cell stack we have the elements which are going to bring air and uh, hydrogen uh, to the um, to the stack and it's called the balance of plant in order to operate the system. So this is what we make at Ballard today. <coughs> so th that's really uh, what we bring to the market and this is what we have been developing for the past 30 more years. Mm -hmm. And today, our main focus is really to try to, so fuel cell works. Everybody agrees, there's no, de no debate on that. Uh, we have 50 million kilometers of operation in the latest generation of bus and trucks that we have on the road today. So it does work. So I think our biggest challenge now is to succeed into our price, you know, cost reduction, uh, you know, um, effort. We need to drive down the cost of the technology. So uh, the TCO for the operator. So at the same time, you have to reduce, I mentioned earlier, the cost of hydrogen production and dispensing. Mm -hmm. But also we need to reduce that ballot and other technology developer on the storage, hydrogen storage, fuel cell system. We need to reduce... Uh, the price of the system. I believe, you know, some studies have been done, you know, uh, there was a very interesting uh, report uh, published from McKinsey and uh, earlier this year, Ballard did also a similar study with Deloitte and it all shows that by, you know, reducing the cost of the fuel cell system components as well as the storage by around 70% from where we are today, then that will really unlock the market and we'll be able to compete uh, at parity with diesel engines and, and battery vehicle actually be more more actually more cost effective for the uh, heavy duty than the battery vehicle so where's the and uh, i'm sure you can't share too much information but where, where do you see are there any low-hanging fruit i know there's been you, you mentioned you've been doing this for 40 years you've been trying to cut costs for a long time but where where we currently stand where do you see any certain areas where there's opportunities for cost cutting and focus areas uh, Yes, absolutely. So, you know, if you look back in the past 10 years, we have already, you know, reduced a lot of cost from where it was 10 years ago to mm -hmm. where it is today. 10 years ago, you know, it was prohibitive, you know, to buy a few cell bus or trucks was multi-million dollars, so very expensive. So now we are within the range, you know, probably, you know, I would say, you know, maybe $100,000, you know, in the U.S. above uh, uh, battery electric vehicle for uh, 
for a bus. So getting really uh, you know small, uh, smaller cost difference. Uh, but we still need to, to go further. And I think there's probably, uh, you know, what we are working on at Ballard is a couple of elements. So we are working on uh, technology innovation, so to uh, increase the power density, so we need less cells, so reduce the cost there. So there's still a bit of innovation to improve the products. Uh, there's a big part of what we are doing, we believe, of the cost reduction will come from the industrialization. So today we make systems on you know, small series of tens, hundreds. We need to go to a to thousand and ten of thousand. So we need to design the product so it can be manufactured at larger scale, larger volume, and then to drive down the cost during industrialization process. But also what is very important, we have worked a lot at Ballard on the, uh, on the stack itself, on the heart of the technology, the stack, the fuel cell stack where electricity is produced. Mm -hmm. But around the stack, to make a fuel cell system, as I mentioned earlier, you have other elements. You have pumps, compressor, uh, cooling systems, DC to DC converter. All those elements actually today represent probably 70% of the cost of the system with the stack only 30%. Hmm. So there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there to reduce the cost of those elements. And the really good news and where we are very confident that we are going to be able to deliver and that 70% cost reduction is we start to see now the automotive industry suppliers, which in the past have been making you know, uh, uh, parts of an engine, uh, are interested and are developing components for fuel cell systems. Mm -hmm. so Some in of the, the big past, ones, right? Yes, and, and the big ones, you know, companies like, uh, like Bosch, Male, and others mm -hmm. are today developing components, uh, subsystems like uh, air compressors, humidifier, uh, DC to DC converters, all those elements which are very important, which are a big part of the cost of a fuel cell system. And now having, you know, tier one uh, automotive suppliers developing those components for production at scale, we're going to have a massive impact on the overall cost of a fuel cell system. So if you combine the effort that Ballard is doing on driving down the cost of the uh, fuel cell stack on the components, finding new materials, to drive down that cost, higher power density, then the effort of the rest of the industry to bring down to the market the, uh, you know, the, all those elements and put them together. That's why I'm, I'm very confident at Ballard we are that we can achieve this 70% cost reduction over the next uh, 10 years. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope it happens. We'll, we'll be excited to watch. It will. It will. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to... Uh, Changed for, I guess, a couple of last, uh, what I consider rapid fire questions here. So focusing a little bit now uh, on, on yourself and, and some of the things you do. So three, three questions for you. So the first one, are there any particular books or is there a particular book that has had a pre, uh, particular impact on you, um, either in your personal or professional life? I think I'm a, you know, I'm a, I like fiction, so I like to sometimes read things which have nothing to do with fuel cell or hydrogen. <laughs> and I think uh, probably one of the books which has a, uh, is, is the biggest impact on me, and even from a younger age, was A Little Prince uh, from Saint Exupéry, and it just gives you the power of dream and power of connection. So uh, very important, so you can dream a better world. So uh, that's probably what inspired me. Awesome. Uh, how about so when you're yeah when you're when you're not dreaming about uh, fuel cells and hydrogen you're not working. What is a a hobby or do you have any particular hobbies or things that you like to do? 
Well, I'm very lucky. I live in Vancouver, so we have very near mountains here and uh, you know beautiful uh, slopes. So I love skiing. So I kind of do it. So hiking in summer and skiing in uh, in winter, and uh, and we are absolutely blessed here in Vancouver. Very cool. Yeah, I haven't made it out there, but I'd, I'd like to like to visit sometime soon. Oh, well, assuming that this uh, this COVID situation. Yes, <laughs> in a different. Uh, yeah, in the near future, hopefully. Yeah. And then, so, so the last kind of real question, uh, so I personally uh, have a belief that uh, leveraging our own personal strength is, is very important, both for finding fulfillment and being productive in work. And so I'd like to, I'd be curious to, to understand you personally, when you when you think of the impact that you've had and uh, any success that you've had, what do you think is a personal strength of yours that you've been able to lean on and leverage during that journey? I think it's um, putting a, I think I like stories and, and I think the power of stories and to articulate a story and, uh, and to take a big pictures and trying to, 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 to make sense of it. So I really like that. I like to take elements of, you know, market trends, technology, and, and then trying to uh, put that together into a story, a strategy. I, I think that's what I really like to do. That's pretty what I bring to Ballard today in order to, uh, to bring the, uh, all the market inputs, the trends, uh, listen to my colleagues on the technology side, and then say, okay, well, this is what we can do, and I'll what, you know, provide a vision. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's a really what I enjoy, just to be able to articulate a story and tell the world that uh, we are not doomed, that there is a, there's a way uh, in order to, we, we know today how to reduce emission, we know today how to address climate change challenges. I think we need to be more uh, courageous. We need to uh, be able to embrace change faster because I don't think we have a lot of time. I, I'm really passionate about the environment, mm-hmm. and that's what I, you know, I, you know, I think at, at Bala we say we have the power to change the world, and I, I really believe in, in in that, and that's why I'm I'm really uh, uh, really excited to work for Bala today. I think everybody uh, we have 900 employees today, and I think everybody believe that uh, we, we can make a difference. And I really believe we have solutions and we can work together to make a world a better world. Awesome. Yeah. And that, I mean, so part of the reason I started this, this podcast is I found, I found the storytelling and then also my, my own personal um, kind of passion and mission has, has I've, I've found to be helping to develop a safer and more sustainable world. And it, yeah, when it, when it allows me to, uh, to cover technology, like what you're working on and talk to people like you had it's a, it's a lot of fun for sure. Wow. Look, look at you. <laughs> so the, yeah. So, so kind of last, last question, kind of multi-part um, open-ended question is just where, where can people find more about you, what Ballard's doing, um, wherever resources, website, uh, social media, wherever you want to point people. And then along with that, just open-ended, if there's anything you want to leave us with or anything that we didn't talk about in particular that you're hoping to cover, um, please feel free to, to floor is yours thank you uh, no so if you want to find more about ballard it's very easy you can go to our website uh, uh, www.ballard.com so uh, very, very easy uh, a lot of information there a lot of resources you understand what we are doing on technology or, or markets and uh, we have uh, a lot of material uh, videos you can watch and you want to do more uh, you can reach out to me on linkedin um, nicholas uh, pocard uh, you can find me there I'd be very happy to uh, to continue the dialogue um, no, at, at the end of the day, I, I think um, 
we need to work together. I think Ballard, we realize that we are not going to be able to do it alone. Um, it's a part of building an ecosystem. We need to work with, to, uh, to, to deliver on, on work with the industry on the, um, uh, you know, to, as I mentioned, to work together to drive down the cost of fuel cell, work with a storage tank company developing new technology to, uh, to, uh, to store more hydrogen safely, work with a, a company developing electrolyzers to produce uh, affordable, low carbon hydrogen, and also with vehicle integrators, engineering companies to put everything together. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a journey that we need partnerships. So at Ballard, we, we really believe that we, we need strong partnerships. So we open to these companies to, to work together to deliver the best possible solution. We only providing one little piece of the solution. I think we are good at what we are doing, uh, but it's not enough. We, we need to have all those pieces of the puzzles uh, as we work together to, to, to develop this uh, uh, sustainable uh, society and, and, uh, and, and a lot of also economic potential because there's a lot of jobs, we can create a lot of value creation we can do uh, by working together. Great. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed this discussion. Thank you very much and uh, hope to talk soon. I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. 